Good afternoon, Gamecock Nation. Wes Mitchell here, Chris Clark, GC Live, coming at you from Columbia, South Carolina. Three days away from kickoff, South Carolina versus Tennessee. And as promised, we are joined right off the bat. We're kicking it off strong with ESPN.com senior writer Chris Lowe, who has been very gracious to join us. We're going to bring him in on the screen now. Chris, can you see us and hear us, my friend? Yes, I can. and see you both and hear you both. Okay, awesome. So again, joined by Chris Lowe. I think the last time, Chris Clark, that we talked to Chris Lowe was when we were doing the 107.5 special last year, I think right before um, kickoff at the time as well. So uh, Chris Lowe, we have made it. Football in the SEC is happening. Um, Tell us, how have you been? How have you dealt with all that's been going on? And um, are you, sir, ready for some SEC football here on Saturday? Well, yeah, I am. I think we've all probably, those of us who love college football and make our living covering college football, have been a little anxious, restless. You know, I mean, there was no spring football and not a lot of travel. I and mean, I'm used to being out on the road, you know, in, in May and April and all of August. And there's really none of that. I was in Alabama last week, but that's the only trip I've been on since any of this. But it's uh, – it's nice to, to think that we're going to have SEC football this weekend. I'm, I'll be honest. I've talked to several coaches, um, Nick Saban, one of them, last week, and he told me that he, you know, about the time the Big Ten initially pulled out, he felt like there probably wasn't going to be any football this fall. And I was right there with him. I, I thought it was going to be very difficult. And, and I think my message to all fans right now is just because we're starting, and, and I'm, I don't want to be a, <laughs> one of those who – doesn't offer hope here, but there's going to be, there's going to be some disruptions and some stoppages. There's going to be some games that are, we've already seen that in other leagues, games that are rescheduled, tweaked and moved to different times of the year. That's just the the nature of what we're dealing with here. I mean, it's, it's new to everybody and it's not going to be a cookie cutter return for everybody. Chris. So number one, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. We, we had an issue last last time. All right, great. So thanks for joining us again, especially on, on short notice. We really appreciate it. Uh, so I wanted to touch on that real quick before we move on to some actual games and some SEC, you know, football storylines. Is the biggest concern for coaches that you've taught with around the league, is it the contact tracing? And I want to get your take on this. Will Muschamp has mentioned that he believes there needs to be more uniformity around the conference in terms of how they're contact tracing because some – you know, schools are going by maybe what their local ordinances are. Some, like South Carolina, have state mandates for quarantines and, and close contact situations. So is that the biggest concern with all this in, in terms of the disruptions? Is, is not the numbers necessarily, but contact tracing. And then second part of that question is, you know, do you see any more policies being put into place, whether it's testing or contact tracing? Well, it's certainly going to be the, the trickiest part of this whole process is you know, if you have, uh, let's say you have your offensive lineman, your starting tackle, who uh, tests positive, and he's been around everybody on the offensive line, the meeting room, or at their apartment, or maybe their roommates. You know, then, then yeah, you're going to potentially in that scenario, you're going to knock out your whole offensive line. And the rules that the SEC's put in place, I think you've got to have what seven offensive linemen available to play in a game. Uh, it is a little bit of a you know, every, every school, every county, you know, every state probably is a little bit different. And in talking to coaches and people, administrations around the league, everybody's definition 
of what a close to what a close exposure, a close contact, what constitutes a close contact, maybe a little bit different, maybe a little different in South Carolina than it is in Georgia or LSU or Tennessee. And I don't know that there's a way to get perfect uniformity in that because every we're talking about all different states, all different county ordinances, health departments. Um, the SEC has put in protocol for testing. Uh, a company that's going to administer the test, you know, the, the PCR test, which you do, I think, on Wednesdays and Sundays. You know, Alabama, for instance, is testing every day now. Now, not every day is a PCR test. Some of them are the rapid return tests where you get in like 15 minutes. But every school in the league is testing at least three times a week. And that's per SEC protocol. But it's, uh, again, it's going to be different for everybody. And I don't know that. You know, when you talk to, again, I've talked to most coaches and most administrators around the league that it's going to be the same for everybody. They're going to try to make it the same. And you, you want to make sure that when you go play a football game, that the kids are safe, A, and that you don't put a team out there. And I think that's why they came up with numbers at certain positions that's just not equipped to play. I mean, if you only have two or three healthy offensive linemen um, and, and say two of them are freshmen, well, that, I mean, what – what sense is there to go play? You know, and if you don't have, let's say it runs the virus runs through your quarterback room. You don't have anybody to play quarterback. You know, everybody talks about a hard number. I think, what is the number, 53 or 52 that you got to have? To me, it's not the number. That it, It's positions. I mean, what if your whole secondary is wiped out or six-year top eight offensive linemen are wiped out? That's when it becomes nearly impossible to play. And you're right, the contact tracing part of it is um, – is really difficult. Now, there have been some discussion that right now, if you are exposed, you got to quarantine for 14 days. You know, do the math. You're talking about potentially being knocked out for, for two games. And there's been some talk of maybe cutting that from 14 to 7 quarantine time. If you're positive, you're isolated for 10 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and remember, if you're positive and you're isolated for 10 days, once that isolation's up, you don't have to be tested for 90 more days. So your window for 90 days of being tested is essentially, you know, three months. So there's a lot of things to, you know, to juggle and to keep in mind here. But it's – I look at it this way. To me, it's a blessing that we're getting to play in football because, as I said earlier, I I didn't think we were really going to get to play when all this went down and just how challenging it was going to be for everybody. You know the front-line people are doing this? The trainers, the head athletic Mm -hmm. trainers, medical staff. Haven't seen and talked to a lot of those guys, head team physicians, you know, managing, juggling. Because, you know, in football, you've got hamstring injuries, you've got ankles, you've got kids coming back from ACLs, you've got all sorts of injuries like this. Over and above, just getting kids tested and making sure they're ready to go. On top of that, these guys in the medical staffs, the trainers, the athletic, uh, the team doctors, they're stretched razor thin. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Chris. And, you know, Muschamp. Has uh, has talked quite a, quite a bit about Clint Haggard and the job that he, he and his staff, you know, have done at South Carolina, and the job that George Wynn, who uh, you know handles South Carolina's operations, has done. Just the day to day protocols that you have to follow, the logistical matters of, you know, taking a team a team meeting where maybe it's just a position group that generally you didn't have to think twice about. Okay, you're you're meeting in that room at this time. And then finding a place to where, you know, that Carolina's putting offensive linemen in their indoor facility with a projector just so they can sit spread out 
um, so that it's not a contact trace if one of them were to, um, you know, get get tested positive. So uh, there, there's so many different things involved here uh, where people are having to, I think, go above and beyond their usual scope of of their jobs. And I, th- I think it's an excellent point as well. There will be some disruptions along the way. But if you are a sports, I don't even say football, if you're a sports fan at all, I mean, I think this made us all, that, that period where there was just no sports, I think it makes you appreciate, you know, having that in your life, whether it's just a hobby, whether it's your career, whether, you know, you just like being able to turn on football on, on Sunday and, you know, the NFL. So I think we all appreciate it a little bit more now because it was it was taken away there for a while. So um, let, let's dive into South Carolina versus Tennessee, um, a game Chris Clark and I have talked about really key for South Carolina because if you're going to sort of start to pick out wins on this schedule and, and for South Carolina to be able to have a successful season, I think a lot of people would say they need to find a way to beat Tennessee to start the year. They need to find a way to get back some positive momentum after the way last year ended and get that bad taste out of their mouth. So just right off the bat, what are sort of your initial um, storylines or, or just what stands out? first and foremost, about this matchup this Saturday night? You know, I think you could say for both teams that the team that doesn't win this game, it's going to be really difficult to have the kind of season that that team wants to have. I think that's the best mm-hmm. way to say it. When you look at both teams' schedules going forward the rest of the way, I mean, whether it's South Carolina or Tennessee, whoever loses this game, they're really fighting an uphill battle to have a uh, – what most people would consider to be a successful season. I think what is the definition this year of a successful season? You play all league games, there are no gimmies, uh, 10 SEC opponents. So I think, you know, outside of Bama, you know, Bama, Georgia, Florida, those teams clearly expect to win at least eight games, maybe more, nine. But, you know, when you're in the realm of the teams, there, sort of, you can throw a bunch of teams there in the middle. And I think getting out of this season with a winning record, six and four, seven and three, it's a good season, you know, and mm-hmm. I think for both of these teams, for, for Tennessee and South Carolina, if you don't win this game, having a winning record is going to be really difficult. Um, I think both offensive lines are pretty good. Tennessee's has a chance to be outstanding, but they are waiting to hear from the SEC on Cade Mays, the transfer from Georgia, and I don't know that they're going to get clearance. And I'm not saying they won't, but at this point, I'm not sure they're going to get the clearance that they want from the SEC for him to play this season right away, and the reason being, I don't think it's something that the commissioner, Greg Sankey's decided, you know what, I'm just not going to clear him. There's a rule in the SEC, a very long-standing rule that says if you transfer within the league to another school, you've got to sit out a year. Now, there's some exceptions. If you are transferring, as a, if you're a graduate, a postgraduate transfer, then you would be able to play it immediately. And if you're transferring from a school that's on probation and serving NCAA sanctions, there was a kid at, um, at Ole Miss that went from Ole Miss to uh, – the floor like Van Jefferson receiver. So if that school is on probation, then you're allowed that waiver to play right away. But outside those two right now, there haven't been that I know of any of those waivers granted, you know, outside the kid who was a graduate. So we'll see, you know, and the, the Gatewood kid is trying to get eligible at uh, Kentucky, the quarterback from Auburn, same type of deal. Uh, I think this is more a league rule. If they're going to change this to the presidents of all the schools got to change it. So, Kate Mays doesn't play. It's still a really good Tennessee offensive line. But if he plays, it's potentially one of the best three or four offensive lines in college football. 
to to go back, so we'll get back to the actual Tennessee game. You mentioned something that sort of jogged something in my mind I, I wanted to touch on, and that is you mentioned some of the top schools in the SEC that maybe have higher expectations going into this year. And I think you mentioned Alabama, Georgia, Florida. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but are you is that sort of the top three regardless of, of division? You know, who who are what's sort of your pecking order when you look at the West, when you look at the East? Is it Florida, Georgia at the top? When you look out west, is it Bama and everybody else? How do you see the league as a whole right now? You know, honestly, I, I would I don't I don't have a problem saying this. I probably know more, less about teams going into this year than I ever have. I mean, right. everything's been shut down. I mean, no, there's yes. no, nobody practices. There's nobody you can talk to coaches. I know across the league, but there's just it's easier than ever for coaches to say what they want to say because nobody's getting into practice. Everything's on Zoom, press conferences. Mm-hmm. There was no spring practice, you know, so I didn't get a chance to travel around the league. A lot of times I get a chance to go see some of these guys, some of the new guys, watch teams practice. I did get to see Alabama practice last week, and they're going to be a load. Um, so I think coaches would tell you they're going to know less about their, their teams this year than ever before because they had no spring. In a lot of cases, teams haven't been able to get their entire team on the field in the preseason because of quarantine and isolation and hit as much as they would with the entire team together. Um, but yeah, Bama's, I think Bama's the class of the league. And then the next tier would probably be Florida and Georgia. LSU lost so much, but I, you know, don't feel sorry for LSU because they recruited like game busters. Uh, I want to be interested to see what kind of year A&M has because they recruited very well too. They need Kellen Mond at quarterback to play and throw the ball more consistently than he has. Uh, and I don't think you ever rule Auburn out. Auburn's always going to be a load on defense. You know, how much of a, of a step does Nick's taking quarterback? But those would probably be in sort of the tiers. And then I think you throw in a lot of other teams there, you know, Kentucky, Carolina, Tennessee. Um, you know, I'm going to be interested to see what Mississippi State does, you know, with Costello coming up at quarterback in Mike Leach's first year. Um, but there's – I said there's four or five teams – you could throw there in the middle that if they stay healthy, things work in their favor, they got a chance to be winning teams. Remember, if, if we're having this conversation this time last year, let's be honest, did anybody on the planet have any idea that LSU would be as good as they were and have <laughs> no. maybe one of the best seasons we've ever seen in SEC history? So it changes in a hurry. When you get into October, November, it looks a lot different than it does at this point in September. And I think that's that's what makes it exciting, you know, from year to year. You never quite know. Um, so I know, Chris, you've been covering the SEC um, for a while now. You've seen Mike Bobo um, dating back, playing career, you know, as a quarterback, then his stint at Georgia. Then obviously he was out of the league, but the head coach at Colorado State. Um, give us some insight. What can Carolina fans expect from a Mike Bobo-led offense, um, whether that's what you've heard on scheme or more just philosophically what you've seen over the years. Um, how, how big could this Mike Bobo hire be for Will Muschamp and what should we expect from this offense? Well, first of all, I think you win with people like Mike Bobo. I've known Mike a long time. You're right. He's, he's coached the league and the SEC. He understands the league, um, understands what it takes to, to play winning football on the offensive side. But just having him around your program, your kids, the coaches, his expertise. He's been a head coach. That's never a bad thing. You look at a, a place like Alabama, Saban's got six former head coaches on the staff. I think more and more coaches, certainly the coaches that are secure 
their own skin. And, and I think Bull Muschamp is. They're not afraid to bring four head coaches on their staff. But Mike understands that even though the game has changed and has evolved on offense, you still got to be able to run the football. You've got, you got to be able, you have to commit to run the football, do the things necessary to run the football and have balance um, and, and do different things and adapt and evolve and use the players, your personnel. I mean, I don't think Mike's going to come in. He never has and try to jam a, a round peg into a, you know, a, a square hole. I mean, he understands you got to play with what you've got. He, this is his first year. They've, uh, I think they've recruited to different systems, not, not completely different systems, but certainly his system will be a little bit different, but he's going to play with strengths. He's always done that. But I'd be, you know, knowing Mike and knowing the way he's he rolls offensively, they're going to try to be balanced. They're going to make a, a conscientious effort to be balanced and to run the football, and uh, but yet be able to throw it. And and he, you know, Colin Hill comes in, a guy that's tough, a guy that can really throw it. I don't know. I think the one thing we we don't know about him is with the surgeries and the knees. I mean, how mobile will he be? Mobile, you know, can he can he move around? I think that's probably yet to be determined. We'll find out. And again, it's not like you're going to have Carolina's going to have a few non-conference games to ease in and give him a chance to do that. You know, right off the bat, you're playing SEC competition, but he's certainly talented and can throw it. And uh, and I think playmakers around him, as much as we want to talk about Colin and, and you know what he is or what he isn't athletically with the knee surgeries, the Gamecocks need more guys around him to play better. You know, and, and be more explosive. Find some playmakers, some younger guys to step up. You know, and not always having to throw the ball 50 or 60 yards down the field. You know, but guys taking a, a quick toss, whether it's a back, whether it's a receiver in space, and making something happen and turning a, you know, an eight or 10 yard pass into a 50, 40, 60 yard game. Chris, your thoughts on Will Muschamp and sort of the trajectory of this program? I mean, as Wes said, you covered a lot of different coaches in different places for many years. So, you know, you've seen Steve Spurrier era, you've seen you know, the start of Will Muschamp and, you know, the first two seasons, how the program went from, you know, three to then six, then nine wins. Last year, obviously, backslid to four. But what are your thoughts on Will Muschamp at South Carolina in terms of the fit, the trajectory of the program and where things are right now and then where they could go, or where they need to go? Well, last year was disappointing. There's no way around it and, and because they he had made steady progress. And, and I, you know, I was really impressed with the kind of recruiting operation. I knew Will would. He is set up there at South Carolina. And the way they've recruited and some of the battles they've won. Because if you're going to beat Georgia and Florida and the teams you play in the SEC on the field, you got to win battles against those teams on the recruiting front. And he's done that. Um, this is a big year. I think with the pandemic, it, it throws a little bit of a, a wrench into it. I don't know that anybody fairly, whether it's South Carolina, whether it's any other school, you can truly assess – where a program's headed, what, a, what kind of job a coach has done this year, just because of everything you're facing. Um, you know, some fans may not want to hear that. And I don't think that means that necessarily that every coach who's quote-unquote on the hot seat is going to get a pass. I don't think that's the case. But if you want to step back a 1,000 feet away and look at it, there's, there's a lot of things going on right now that are going to be more important to administrators and presidents and ADs when it comes to making a decision at the end of the year if you're going to pull the plug on a coach and, and pay out, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten million dollars for a coach to walk, it's just the way it is. I think I've always thought Will's a good football coach. He's never been able to get it completely right on offense. You're know, going even going back to Florida. 
And that's why I thought bringing Mike on was a big hire for him. It, it, it's a, I think it's a smart hire. It's a guy that Will knows, a guy with, and there's trust there, and a guy that knows this league. Now, again, in year one, when you haven't fully been able to re- recruit to your system in a pandemic, you know, is it fair to assess, you know, just based on one year under Bobo? No, but I do think it's a good start. Uh, yeah. To me, if, if, if the Gamecocks, certainly if they can get to six and four and have a winning season, I think that's a heck of a job and maybe even five and five, but it, a winning season this year by all of those teams that, that a minute ago that I sort of threw into the middle of the batch to me has to be considered a successful. I, I agree a hundred percent. We've talked about how the expectations with, with no gimmies, no non-conference games, um, that the schedule or the, the record is going to look a little different, but it's you, sort of as fans, you have to kind of accept that, I think. So um, final thing here, Chris, um, we appreciate the time, man. So the game on Saturday, how uh, – and, I again, I think we're sort of all in the same boat. I don't know how much we know about Tennessee other than that they uh, they did finish the year last year on, you know, a high note, winning some games, sort of opposite of South Carolina. But do you have a feel for just – how this game is going to play out Saturday night. And I, I think we're all expecting that they're kind of structured similarly. I, I think they have similar defensive schemes. They're both more sort of pro style offenses than, than a lot of teams are these days. So what do you expect from the flow of this game? And, and I guess, do you, do you have a pick or, or not really? Well, I think it's whoever can make the most big plays on offense. You know, I think mm-hmm. both these defenses, you know, are going to, you know, I won't say bend or not break, but but who can sort of make the bigger plays on offense, you know, and not have to first game with, as I said earlier, you know, you just don't have a lot of a lot of work, you know, a lot of scrimmage work. You, you completely wipe out the spring. So how realistic is it in this first game, a league game, to go the length of the field and, and be error free and make you know have a bunch of scoring drives, four or five scoring drives? So I think big plays on offense and sort of eliminating those plays on defense. Who's the best at doing that? Tennessee's a what a slight favorite, a two, two or three point favorite. I mean, I don't know how this year. I don't know how the Vegas guys, you know, <laughs> as little as we know about teams, can come up mm. any any kind of line. But uh, I, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I think this is really. I think Peckham's about right. You know, I don't know um, who. Um, you know, does Garantano play? a little bit more consistently. Remember last year, he, he had a bad start to the season. And much like the team, hung in there and played better down the stretch. I'm talking about Tennessee's quarterback. Um, mm. Does South Carolina protect him? You know, is Tennessee able to get pressure on I think all those things are uh, are factors. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a close game, and I'd be surprised if it doesn't go down in the fourth quarter. But you're right. The, the – uh, Playing at home, even though the home field advantage is, is really sort of moot now this year, this is a game, having grown up in that state and knowing a lot about that program, the South Carolina program, that the fans will expect him to win. And, you know, you go back to the Spurrier years, and granted he left, you know, he didn't leave well much, and, you know, bad way to walk away. But forever what Spurrier did is raise the expectations. You know, to go three straight years from somebody who grew up there, I didn't think I'd ever see – a time in my lifetime when the Gamecocks would go three straight years and finish in the top 10 and win 11 mm-hmm. games and beat Clemson. Wouldn't it be in five straight years? Yeah. I think I'd ever see that. So when you do that, 
any fan base, and I'm not just picking on the the Gamecock fan base, is going to say, hey, it can be done. Look mm-hmm. at what we just did. And I think that taste remains, and I think that's probably what Will Muschamp and his staff is fighting as much as anything is, hey, Spurrier did it. Now, was the landscape of the league a little bit different? Yeah, but he still did it. And so why shouldn't Will Muschamp or whoever's coaching after him, certainly five years in, be able to get to those heights as well? Good stuff as always, Chris. Um, are, are you on the road this week? Where, where are you at on Saturday? No, I'm not going anywhere this week. As I said, I was in Alabama for a couple of okay. days doing, working on a couple of things for TV this past week. But, um, I, you know, I don't know how much travel a lot of us will do this year because mm-hmm. it's going to be so different. You know, everything's going to be via Zoom after games. I'll go right. a few places, but this first thing, it'll be a good week to sort of sit on and watch all the games with all SEC teams playing. Yep, should be fun. As always, we enjoy the coverage. We appreciate the time. Uh, Chris, uh, be safe out there, man, and enjoy the games on Saturday, okay? You bet, guys. Take care. Awesome. Yeah, great stuff there, as always, from our friend Chris Lowe. ESPN.com senior writer has been covering the SEC. Um, Really, Chris, I would say as as long as I can remember um, seeing Chris's stuff. And, um, man, I I think uh, some good stuff from him, but also an excellent point about – the fact we we may know less about the various teams around the conference this year than, than maybe we ever have. So I want to dive into that. But first of all, before we get into it, I know we were trying to roll into um, Chris's interview there. We got to tell everybody about AffordableMedicalUSA.com and how we are home of the game day chair. And I uh, obviously, as we've told people earlier this week, we are a daily show now. Thanks to Affordable Medical USA and those guys. Uh, so, Chris, tell everybody about the game day chair. Yeah, game day chair. And you guys on the show are at some point probably going to get to see this thing. Uh, I was going to say in person, but via video. Uh, I think we might go take a nap in it or something or watch some football in it. Uh, Chris, the owner of Affordable Medical Equipment and AffordableMedicalUSA.com is going to have us out to his new, brand new store uh, once it opens, which should be in the near future. But for now, check them out. Uh, if you go to GamecockCentral.com, there's a link to the show. The link to the game day chair is on there. It's basically a super comfortable chair, awesome material, all different positions. Not a lot of tickets to games this year, not a lot of opportunities to go. So if you're sitting on your couch watching football on Saturdays and Sundays, consider watching it from the game day chair. It's uh, it's pretty awesome and looking forward uh, to continuing to showcase it. Thanks again to those guys for uh, sponsoring the show here. Yep, they make the show possible, and um, that is a, a great thing for us. There you see the URL. If you want to check it out, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Obviously, you can't click it on the video, but it's in. if you're on YouTube, it's it's in the little um, preview there. So, all right, we, we did have some questions. Like I said, I want to get into some different things. Um, and I will say we had a comment here, Brody. Um, I can promise you Chris Lowe is not full of a word we can't say on here. Because the guy's been covering the SEC. How, how long has he been covering the SEC for ESPN, Chris? I don't know. We should have asked him the exact – because I mentioned how he had covered Spurrier. It's been longer than that, though, I, I think, you know, I mean, to Holtz. And I, I don't even know. He's been around forever. And you – there are – the amount of people who would be as plugged into the league in general as yeah. Chris, it's a one-hander. It, it might be yeah. like a one-finger – there's just not any. So, and I honestly, I didn't hear. I mean, we welcome all feedback on the show. I didn't hear any excuses, really. Um, I heard a lot of reality, and you know, 
from both sides. I mean, Chris mm-hmm. points out the positives, the negatives, where things are at. I was actually going to say, even if that comment wasn't made, that I always enjoy having him on because you don't get a bunch of just hot takes or just saying things without knowing what's going on. He's always just really measured, you know, in what he says. Yeah, so um, really gives you, I think, sort of an inside take, but also gives you some pers- some uh, perspective on the league as a whole. And, you know, I, I think, man, as we sort of we, – we actually we talked to uh, Austin Price earlier today, recorded an interview that will be on the show later on this week. He covers TennesseeVolQuest.com. And I, I don't want to give away, you know, all the content of that, but then listening to him, listening to Chris Lowe here today, I mean – I always throughout the week, Chris, I'm sort of formulating how how do we think this game is going to play out? How uh, how do these two teams match up? For one, like they're saying, it's kind of a thing where you really don't. We're not going to know for for any game this week exactly who all is available until about an hour before a kickoff. Um, now that's not a hint that we like know something with with the game Saturday or anything. Just more in general. Um, you know, Muschamp, they asked him, when are you going to announce contact tracing for a game? He's like, about an hour before. So, I mean, you, you with, when you look at a matchup, you don't know exactly who all is even going to be on the field. But now, you know, do, do we really – what what do we even really know about this Tennessee team as far as how they match up with South Carolina? Because I think you look, you look back, man, you start looking at how they finished the year last year. What they did to South Carolina, particularly in that second half, was very impressive, right? But then you start looking at some of the scores during this stretch of wins that they had. Tennessee was still in a lot of close football games. Give them credit for going out and winning those games. But I wouldn't say this is a team that's just dominated people um, late last year. They do still have a quarterback who I think at times really makes some plays, but then at times um, you know, can, uh, can, can struggle to – uh, consistently, you know, make plays for you. So I think it's a situation there where we're going into this game. Generally, if two teams are pretty evenly matched, which I think they are pretty evenly matched, you kind of it kind of comes down to those week one type things, right? Who can avoid the dumb plays, like just the the mess ups? Who, um, you know, that, that lead to turnovers, that lead to short field position? Who, um, who can just execute the simple, you know? snap placement kick who um who doesn't who avoids the special teams issues that inevitably can come up in week one so there there's so many unknowns this year that it it almost uh, it's hard to just start to to sort of analyze a game we don't even have much of an idea what these teams are going to look like there are already enough questions like if we were going into a normal year both of these teams would have enough questions to where we're going I don't really know but then you, you throw in contact tracing covid not really sure what's going to happen there exactly you know we we think we think as of here when we sit here on this Wednesday live that both teams are probably going to be in pretty good shape but we don't know that for sure you know something could happen they're going to test again what on Thursday I think um, and and so we'll find out then um, or we won't find out then. They'll know then, and then we'll find out on Saturday. But you're right, man. It's you know, it's it's questions for both teams. Is game one stuff. So you know, procedural stuff. Um, turning somebody loose, busting an assignment. 
you know, Chris mentioned explosive plays. I think that's a really good one. Um, I don't know if there will be a ton of explosive plays in this game, but whichever team has more of them will probably have a good shot. Um, penalties, procedural things, you know, get, getting things set. Those things are going to be huge. And to go back to strictly a just on-field execution point, the rushing attack for both these teams, you know, uh, pulling some stats for a buy or sell presented by Bishop Real Estate Group that we're going to be featuring on Gamecock Central later. Each game stands on its own. You know, I'm not one to say, well, this happened in this series, so it's going to happen in the next game. But, you know, since 2013, the team that's won the rushing attack in this game in terms of yardage has won. 2013 was the only sort of outlier. Mike Davis had 137 yards. Carolina won the rushing battle, but didn't win the game. They lost by two. Just a weird game overall. You guys remember it. Um, other than that, you know, Muschamp's first three years, they won the rushing battle. They had the, they had the high rusher, you know, in terms of an individual and the rushing attack. But maybe even more than that in this weird 2020 I tend to go back to what you said, Wes, and it's just about who's going to execute the best, no matter you know, no matter how that shakes out. Well, man, when when you talk about explosive plays, that that can really be two things, right? I, I think you sometimes explosive plays are because one side has has guys that are just better offensively, you know, than than everybody else. They just go make plays. Other times, explosive plays are more. Uh, you know, about a bust where a, a defense gets its eyes in the wrong place or a guy has a mental error. He thinks he's in one coverage. The rest of his teammates are in another. And then you have sort of an explosive play that is more about the opponent making a mistake than it is about you just going and winning a one-on-one 50-50 jump ball. So I think could there be a lot of, could there be a lot of explosive plays that are sort of because it's game one and, the defenses make some mistakes. You could see that, or or could it be a situation where the defenses are just well ahead of the offenses, and there aren't many, um, you know, explosive plays. I I would think one one thing that I do think is slightly concerning because I I think South Carolina on paper, I do think this is going to have a chance to be a really good defense, right? Well, the fact that there have been these concerns about South Carolina and the coaches, even though they've said there have been explosive plays in practice, you look and then they turn around and say there's concerns at at wide receiver. Well, the fact that they are getting these explosive plays on South Carolina's defense, um, it's kind of like Muschamp talks about. If you scrimmage, if one side does well, then, oh, you're worried about the other side. I do think that is a slight concern about, the South Carolina defense, that they have given up some explosive plays to this offense. Now, on paper and everything I've heard, I start looking at the talent on this defense, and I think this defense is obviously in a much better uh, place as far as being uh, guys that that are proven compared to the offense. Uh, Chris, I wanted to get to one of these comments on here because I think Cooper, Cooper made a good point um, – about and you know we talk talking about the running game, Tennessee's O line and South Carolina's defensive line. Now, um, I, Cooper, I saw you also said that Muschamp said the D line has been a weakness. Um, I don't think he's ever said that this preseason. He said the second team defensive line following one of the scrimmage one of the scrimmages scr- struggled. Right? 
he hasn't said the defensive line as a whole has been a weakness. But I do think we know Tennessee's offensive line, Chris, is going to be a strength of that team. So can South Carolina get get pressure? Is Tennessee early on able to start to establish the run in this game because of their offensive line leaning on a defensive front that does have to replace Javon Kinlaw, does have to replace DJ Wanham? Like there are some concerns there, I think, as far as the Tennessee size and just the experience on their offensive line. There is. I mean, they've, they've got some talent. You know, Trey Smith, uh, Darnell Wright, Wanye Morris. We don't know about Cade Mays. I mean, Chris Lowe talked about that a little bit. He would just be another, you know, talented guy. But they've got experience. They've got talent. It's a nice mix for those guys. They've also got Ty Chandler and Eric Gray back there who can run around. Garantano, you know, is mobile enough. I remember two years ago in williams Bryce. you know, he he moved around some and created some issues for them on some on some third down plays in particular. So, um, you know, receiver is a little bit more of a question mark for them, but they do have backs. And so it'll be it'll be interesting to see the game plan that Jim Chaney comes up with. He's probably anticipating that South Carolina believes that they're going to come out and try to run the ball. And, and they will certainly have to do that. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting chess match between, you know, two staffs that have a lot of familiarity, some carryovers, some guys that have coached against each other, a bunch, some guys that have worked together on the same staff um, in some instances. So. It'll be it'll be fascinating on that front, but I, I do think there's a little bit of a strength on strength element there, you know. And you know, South Carolina, you look at their offense. There's major questions at the skill positions, but you feel pretty good about their O line. Jeremy Pruitt has not been always super complimentary of Tennessee's defensive line. You know, they've got some questions, especially in terms of rushing the passer. They got some talent in the secondary, um, so. There's, there's a little bit of a disconnect there where it's, you know, South Carolina's D-line versus Tennessee O-line, a little bit strength on strength. The other ones, maybe there's some areas that South Carolina can improve on. But I think the defensive line is going to be huge in this game, as is the O-line. If Colin Hill has enough time, I think he can pick out some guys, even though receiver's going to be, you know, certainly a question mark in this game. But I want to go back to one thing you said earlier, Wes, because it jogged something in my mind. You mentioned – I wanted to bring this up on the show regardless. You know, we, we have talked so much about this offense and the question marks they have, and I, they're all legitimate, and, and I believe that going into this game. It's a concern. But I did want to bring up what you said about, you know, I'm sitting here thinking why is Muschamp mentioned explosive plays against this defense so much? Why is he mentioned in one scrimmage that they scored five out of the first six times? Because we do think this is a pretty good defense. Is that ones on twos? Was it twos on twos? You know, how much was it? Is this offense maybe going to be a little bit better than we thought? You know, I don't know. I tend to think that the defense is going to be good. Offense more of a question mark that they're going to scuffle a little bit there. But it'll be it'll be interesting to see for sure. It's been hard to get a handle on for anyone, uh, probably including the coaching staff in practice. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think if, if you're scoring five out of six times to start a scrimmage, there certainly had to be some ones versus ones in there. Yeah. You know, you would think now – um, you know, around that time, they were talking about the struggles of the second team at, at times on, on the defensive front. So, uh, you know, we're not seeing who's matching up with who. But I, I do I do think that is a, a slight um, sort of thing you put in the back of your mind. If, if Tennessee comes out and has more success offensively against South Carolina's defense than we're all expecting, then maybe that's one of those things where 
that kind of confirms that concern a little bit for you. But if South Carolina's defense comes out and plays up to, I, I think, what we think they're capable of, then it's like, oh, that was just a practice thing that was sort of an anom- anomaly and wasn't really anything to it. So uh, Tyler has a good point here. Should, uh, should South Carolina fans be concerned about Tennessee's defensive line versus South Carolina's offensive line? And then, of course, Hill's lack of mobility. You know, that's one thing the more I've read on, and Austin Price will talk about this a bit later this week when we have him on, Tennessee just doesn't quite have the guys up front on the defensive line that they had last year. They have publicly um, talked to, you know, you look at some of Jeremy Pruitt's stuff, he's publicly sort of challenged his defensive front to play better in practice. And from what I've read, he's challenged them privately to play better as well. So, I think this is a situation where we've talked up South Carolina's offensive line, the need for them to sort of control the game for Carolina on the offensive side. Th- that that starts now. Like, if Carolina's going to win this game, offensive line is going to have to uh, sort of win that battle against Tennessee's defensive front because this is a group that um, has some concerns, doesn't have that true just – uh, beat the man in front of you, have, you know, commands a double team type kid. Yeah. If Carolina can find a way to run the ball, you know, if, if, if you get through maybe to halftime in this game and Carolina's just not having success running it offensively, you're not going to feel good about their chances to win it. I think Tennessee's going to find some success in the running game because I think they have a good O-line, they have some good backs. Jim Chaney can scheme up enough things. And Garantano can – you know, he can hurt you a little bit if he's on <laughs> with his arm or with his legs. And so that's going to be a key, again, for the Gamecocks. And so, you know, the play of the offensive line is huge in this one, even more so because there's not that Marshawn Lloyd, that dynamic back. Now, like Andre White, he's sort of the X factor if he's healthy, which we think he is. How much can he play? Can he make some things happen? Can South Carolina find some success with Harrison Fenwick? huge storyline in this game because that's going to really open up, you know, a whole box of possibilities for Mike Bobo as he, as he calls plays throughout this game. Yeah. And Craig making a good point here. What he says, wasn't it kind of implied that some of the explosive plays may have occurred when Horn and Izzy were not on the field. I think there was a, uh, certainly a a segment of of practices where, where that was probably the case, Um, which obviously, again, that that's, that's sort of, the issue with us um, trying to make sense of all this when we're not out there, not able to see, you know, who are these explosive plays against? The other side of that is, though, hey, how, how many explosive plays were made by Jalen Brooks? You know, I mean, someone that now we, we understand or we now know South Carolina is not going to have, at least for the start of the year, and may not have him at all depending on if he is able to, um, you know, appeal that decision and get back. So, all right, we, we got a few minutes left. I don't know. We went long yesterday. We may go short today. But um, tomorrow, I want you all to mark your calendars, um, you know, whatever you got to do. Come join us at 2 o'clock because we're going to be joined by Alyssa Lang, SEC Network, of course. She's been on SportsCenter. She used to um, work an intern with Gamecock Central when she was in at uh, USC for school and uh, now has her own show on the SEC Network. And uh, Alyssa is a very busy person because she is also the sideline reporter for the game on Saturday as well, South Carolina versus Tennessee, obviously. So Alyssa will be on the show tomorrow about 2.15. We're going to go live at 2 
then we'll have Alyssa in at 215. And um, I'm very, very excited about having her on, Chris. I know she'll give some good insight. And um, especially, you know, sort of having the insight of being the sideline reporter for this game, I, I think, and her new show, it's a perfect time for us to catch up with Alyssa. No doubt, no doubt. We we knew uh, when Alyssa used to work with us at Gamecock Central, she was going to go on and do some really big things, which she has done and is continuing to do. So that's really awesome to see. Really happy for her. Always like catching up with her. Very knowledgeable, you know, of everything happening around the league. Obviously, a South Carolina background. So she gets to sort of uh, have a homecoming, so to speak, this weekend and looking forward to what she has to say about the game and the SEC and what she has going on, you know, professionally. Yep, so Thursday's show, we'll have her on. Friday's show, we'll have Austin Price on, VolQuest.com. He's going to give us some Tennessee thoughts. And uh, let, let's hit a couple of these questions before we roll along, Chris. Um, Brock Lee on YouTube asking, uh, and by the way, I don't even know if I introduced it. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and on uh, all the Gamecock Central Podcast Networks um, platforms archived right after the show. So, yeah, does the lack of practice for a bunch of guys at Tennessee, could that be a major factor in this game? You know, I I think it's one of those things, Chris. Certainly there there is a factor to it. If you're Tennessee, you know, maybe you've had to simplify some things a bit. Maybe you've had to, um, you know, it, it has an effect. But we also, the guys had what, as a whole, 25 practices in 40 days. So... I think if you're talking about kids that missed, you know, 28 days, then unless they're just a veteran, that that sort of wipes them out for a little while, obviously. But if, you know, if, if it's a young guy, you're, you're sort of done. Now, guys that maybe missed 14 days and you had 40 days total, you know, you can sort of work around it to an extent, I think. Now, if – if Tennessee loses, then absolutely that's going to be that's going to be something that's mentioned. Yeah, right. Um, but in in many cases, Chris, I think everybody, to an extent, Austin Price talked about this when we recorded that interview as well. Everybody, to an extent, has dealt with some issues. Just Tennessee sort of opened their mouth and was like, "Hey, we we got this many guys out." And so it became a big national headline. But I, I think everybody has missed guys at times during preseason. Yeah, I I would be curious to see if there's any team that's completely avoided anything. I mean, I, I highly doubt it. And many teams have released, you know, chosen to release numbers. South Carolina initially sort of made it known they would not be. Will Muschamp has – obviously nobody's mentioned in player names, but he's given some numbers at times, and they've been low. He's also said at other times, hey, we've had some COVID issues. And by that, you know, what you, you typically mean by that is there, you've had some positives, but your bigger impact comes from contact tracing, which we talked about with Chris Lowe earlier. Um, it's, it's a big, you know, factor. And so that's what everybody, you know, you're trying to keep your guys healthy. You're trying to keep them obviously from contracting the virus, doing everything you can, but also the contact tracing is such an, a big part of that. It's even bigger layer to it in terms of the actual numbers. So, you know, I agree with you, man. It depends on which guys it is. I mean, some some guys, like you said, if it's a young guy and he's missed 14 or days of practice or he's had him in contact trace twice, he's not, you know, you're not going to be able to play or early in mm-hmm. the season. You're simply not going to be ready. Older guys, it may not be as big of a deal. 
Yep. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, by the way, be on the lookout if you're not a Gamecock Central s- subscriber. We've got uh, something coming up on the docket uh, that will hopefully maybe entice you to get in. Is that that's not live yet, is it, Chris? Nope, not live yet on that promo. But uh, we should be in the coming couple days. I hope probably tomorrow. I think by the time we have a list on. I think we'll have another live promo for our people to jump in on for our coverage all season. Really looking forward to it. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so uh, when you join us tomorrow, we'll have a a promotion code for you to get in uh, with a great deal for the college football season and beyond. So, um, all right, I think that's going to do it. Again, check out AffordableMedicalUSA.com, home of the game day chair. They make it possible uh, for us to have a show here daily and Appreciate Chris Lowe, ESPN.com, for joining us. Great stuff from him. So for Chris Clark, I'm Wes Mitchell, and we'll see you tomorrow on the GamecockCentral.com live show.